Thanks, Coopers. Last Sunday, <clears throat> it's, a, it's a special day for us. It was our baby blessing, our new arrival Sunday. So this stage was full of moms and dads and babies and siblings. I mean, it, we had a small church up on this stage last week. I think it was like 65 people. It was crazy. And it's a Sunday every year that is full of a lot of excitement. It's also a Sunday that we take time to pray and try to reach out to some people in the church. And we know it's a hard Sunday for some folks. And um, we, we hope that we want to be a church that tries to, to talk about relationships and even spiritual maturity in a way where we don't make it sound like if you're single or you can't have kids, that spiritual maturity is getting married and spiritual maturity is having a family one day. God is so much bigger than that. We want to live into that kind of confession that we want to be a church for all people. Yet it was a beautiful day. And our reminder that we do come around families. And, and I love what that day has become for us. It's more than a baby blessing because now we have families who are adopting kids. And some of them don't come into families or into our church as infants. So it's a, it's a new arrival day. It's also a Sunday last week that we had a baptism. And I was, had the honor of baptizing Kim. And Kim's somebody I just met last Sunday morning that we have had plenty of email exchanges. And I asked if I could just share a little bit of her story with you. Because we got an email, a few of us got an email from Kim probably a week and a half ago asking about baptism, about giving her life over to Jesus. And part of her story is that Kim got pregnant out of wedlock not too long ago. And it was a time in her life when she was, she was thinking about faith and getting pregnant. It made her think more about faith and more about Jesus. So she went to a church to get serious about Jesus. And when they found out she was pregnant out of wedlock they basically refused her baptism and left her with, some, with a message of how disappointed God was with her. So Kim and I had some email exchanges, and I tried to speak words of gospel and words of Jesus over people. That I mean, one of Jesus' mission statements is he came to seek and save the lost. Like, he came for people who are not well. That's the pursuit of Jesus. And God's arms are open to anyone who comes to him with a heart that has a desire to get close to Jesus. God doesn't stiff-arm people, Right? He invites them in. So Kim and I had some exchanges. I was able to shoot a, to her a video. I have a friend who made a 10-minute video about baptism. And, and Kim watched that. And we uh, talked about the Bible a little bit. So last Sunday, I was able to meet Kim for the first time. And it was so awesome for me to be able to tell her that, hey, you have chosen to be baptized on a day that we're affirming a lot of new arrivals in our church. And in our church, when it comes to new arrival Sunday, we don't sit back and say, we only do this for moms and dads. We've affirmed and we've blessed on this stage women who have had babies out of wedlock, single women who've adopted children, that any child that is coming into this world, even though it may have been, maybe that baby came into the world outside of God's design for the family, the baby's not a mistake. And the church surrounds women and men to say, hey, you're not alone. We are for you. We are with you. We are for this child. And it's a confession we live into. And it can, she wept when I told her this. That, that we're not the only church in Memphis or beyond that just wants to say, we care about people. We want to value people. But for me, it was this beautiful thing of seeing so many pieces come together last week. And if you were here last week and you took communion, it means you also need to sign up for nursery and toddler time in the years to come, all right? Because <laughs> it's going to be wild in there. Um, uh, we are a church that practices baptism. And it's really this wild idea 
Kind of a crazy idea. I mean, why did God not set up a way for us to enter into a covenant with a handshake or just signing our name to a document? Instead, God's idea was complete immersion in water. And it's both invitation and it's also initiation. The baptism for us, as we practice it as a church, it's not just invitation into status change where you... You move from unsaved to saved or lost to found. It's also initiation into a life, initiation into community, initiation into a movement. And before Jesus, there were some who were practicing baptism for the sake of purification. Maybe it had nothing to do with salvation and transformation and a new movement. But there was a covenant God set up years before to help usher people into life with Him. There was invitation and there was initiation. So right now I'm in a four-week series called Priorities. And what I've been talking to you about and what I've laid in front of you the last two weeks is God does not desire to be a priority in your life. He wants to be the priority. So when it comes to your social life, God wants to be the priority over your social life. Your family life, He wants to be the priority over that. Your, your whatever, every phase of your life, God is the priority in it. And we're walking through the Ten Commandments and we, uh, Kip was able to make this hoopah. It's a, you'll see this in Jewish weddings and Before the Ten Commandments in Exodus 19, God brought a cloud that he placed over the people. It was a covering, and God continues to provide this covering. And under God's covering, God invites people to him. And that is where God pronounces blessing and affirmation and covenant. And it's also where God gives assignments, like teaches people what it means to live out this life. So part of what I've done is I've taught the Ten Commandments that God is inviting people under a hoopah, inviting them into a covenant. And he's not just inviting anybody in the book of Exodus. These are people who are fresh out of slavery. These are people who've been in, they've been slaves, their, their ancestors have been slaves for over 400 years, and now God is inviting them to be free people. But now God is going to have to teach them what it means to be free. So he gives them the Ten Commandments, like his wedding vows, inviting them into relationship. Where I've taught the last few weeks at the first three are about God's relationship with them. That God says, hey, no other gods but me. I want to be your only one. That God says, uh, don't bow down to any other kind of idol. I want you to only bow down to me. That God says, I want you to honor my name. And then last week I talked about the power of the Sabbath. That the Sabbath day and having some Sabbath rest in your life is what keeps you connected to God and connected to people. And last week we also talked about honoring parents, honoring your mom and dad. And the many Jews teach that this is the one that all the other Ten Commandments hinge on. That honor your father and mother for your father and mother are the ones who open up God's world for you to love God the way God wants you to love God and to love people the way you need to love people. And today, so the first few, like God actually gives a little bit of explanation to them where there may be a few sentences on them. But then you get to some where it's just like a few words. And here's how it goes. If you'll show these four, let me go ahead and go to these four. Here's how it is. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Right? Do not bear false testimony in court or with your neighbor. Kind of talking about legal matters. And here's a principle I want to talk about this morning. That God values people. And sometimes it's really hard for us to value people. But if God values people, then maybe we should work hard to value people too. It's hard to value people, isn't it? Uh, There's a story of the woman years ago. She got bit by a dog. 
And she went to the doctor, and when she was there, the doctor informed her that she had rabies. And she was one of those women in the doctor's office who had a pen and a pad out, like many of us do. I don't do. I just trust my memory when I'm at the doctor's office. Casey takes notes, which is why she's so much better than I am when it comes to this. So this woman has her pen and paper out. She's taking notes, and the doctor said, you know you're going to be okay. There's treatment for this. And she said, I know I'm going to be fine. I'm making a list of all the people I want to bite before I have my treatment. And you know who those people would be for you too if you came down with rabies, right? Some of you would want to go bite some people in Washington, D.C. or bite James Harden or who, you know, whoever it may be. <clears throat> some of you may be sitting next to the person you want to bite, right? <laughs> Just take a bite out of crap. God values people. And remember, God is talking to people who are 60 to 90 days out of slavery. And God's instructing them about relationships. And even though you look on the screen right now and it's like, don't do this and don't do that. And, don't, and it's just do not. I think the heart of God in this right here is also inferring of what you do. It's not just what you don't do, it's what you do. The comedian Chris Rock, he's been around for a long time. And years ago, I, I don't remember where I was watching him on TV. It was, this was before YouTube or Netflix specials. And I was watching this bit of Chris Rock, and I remember him saying something like, you know, sometimes I have friends who come up to me, and some of these friends will say, I'm a good dad. I don't beat my kids. And Chris Rock was like, but you're not supposed to beat your kids. Like, that's not what makes you a good dad, that you don't beat your children. And he said, you know, sometimes my buddies come up to me, and they say, I'm a good husband. I don't cheat on my wife. And Chris Rock was like, you're not supposed to cheat on your wife. Like, not cheating on your wife's not what makes you a good husband. So God's telling them, hey, don't murder and don't commit adultery and don't steal and don't do that. But God's also inferring that there's a certain way that free people are supposed to live. If you really value people the way God wants you to value people. Now, if we were to look right here on the screen. And think about, let's just take the next year right here in the 901. In the next month, right here in the 901, the month of February. If in the 901 there was no murders and no one committed adultery and there was no theft and no one went into court and uh, bore false witness against someone else. Is that not a city you would want to live in? Wouldn't that be good for our community? All right, we would take that. The news wouldn't know what to talk about for a month, right? <clears throat> we would want that. All right, and as much as we would want that, if we didn't do all those things, yet racism still lived in hearts, and pride still existed, and greed was still there, it's not fully living into what God intends. God knew for these people that they're coming out of Egypt, where they've been slaves for years, living in a land that did not value people at all. I mean, 80 years before, Moses was a baby. And when Moses was a baby is when Egyptians were commanded and they just took baby boys who were Jews, these people of God, and threw them into the Nile. Just no value for life at all. And now God's saying, hey, okay, in a new land, I need free people to learn how to live as free people as I intend for them to live. And, and a huge part of that is you've got to value people. So let me walk through these today. The first one of these little one sentences is, do not murder. 
And this is a verse that comes up quite a bit in arguments people have and debates people have when they're trying to think about a theology of war or abortion or euthanasia or uh, self-defense. Like when does this, how does this apply within our context? Capital punishment. When do we look at this and take it seriously and how does this play out in our lives? But before you start thinking about how it plays out in our lives, first and foremost, think about the context God is giving this, them this command in. He's trying to teach free people how to be free people. And a big part of that is you've got to value human life. So when they get into a new land and they start fighting over land, which was going to happen, who gets bigger property and more land and less land and how do neighbors get along, you value life. And as they value life, uh, they, I'm sure they're reminded of verses like in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. Where it says this, whoever, God said this, whoever sheds human blood by humans, should their blood be shed. And which ends with this, for in the image of God has God made humankind. So let me ask this, do we treat people in our lives, even strangers, people we don't know, do we treat people as image bearers of God or do we treat people as people who've been messed up by sin? Do we look at people and see the best in them? Do we look at people and see the God in them, or do we look at people and expect the worst, right? All life belongs to God, and, more, and, and this is what I think the Bible teaches. There are more ways to murder someone than to take their life. At least Jesus believed that. So, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, one of the greatest teachings Jesus gives... And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaks specifically. He quotes three of the Ten Commandments. And what he does with all three of them is he tries to open them up and interpret them in a way that calls people to live a certain way in life. Because now over a thousand years have gone by, and I think Jesus knew there were people living, and they're like, people live in life in a way that they, like when they died and whatever judgment is going to look like, their thinking was, I'll stand before God, and if God asks, give me a record of your wrongs, have you been a good human being? People would say, you know, well, yeah, I haven't killed anybody. But just because you haven't killed anybody doesn't mean you're doing anything great in life. So Jesus takes time to help people see that the commands God gave is not just something you obey in your flesh, it's something you obey from your heart. It's not just something you follow like a checklist, it's that your heart is being given over to God in a certain kind of way. So in Matthew chapter 5, here's what Jesus says, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. So Jesus broadens the definition of, of murder and what it means to injure people. He's not replacing the law. He's helping to interpret the law in the way God intended. That anything that attacks the sacredness of a human being is an affront against God's will for us. And Jesus continues in that same passage. And, and here's, what he, here's what he says. Therefore, in verse 23, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, you leave your gift there in front of the altar. You first go and you be reconciled to them and then you come and you offer your gift. Now, I think Jesus here is being dramatic. Like he's using something, painting a picture of something that would most likely never happen. Now, most of us have read the Sermon on the Mount, and we've read this verse right here. In a 21st century culture, maybe 20th culture, 20th century culture, maybe there's someone in their 19th century culture, all right? But you've read it in your culture. And what we often think about is if you're taking communion, 
the bread and the cup, or maybe the offering plate is coming. If there's something you have against someone else, and Jesus is more specific, it's if someone else has something against you, you leave your altar there and you go and you make things right. But in those days, Jesus is referring to most likely like a temple sacrifice. You're bringing your offering to a temple or to a synagogue to atone for sins. Which is something you would never do. You would never just come and, and walk all the way. You would never stand in line, get all the way up to a priest. And there you are with your lamb named Betsy or whatever you name your lamb. And then you get to the front and think, you know what? There's someone who has something against me. So priest, I'm going to leave Betsy right here. And don't let Betsy run away. And I'm going to go make things right and then I'll come back. Or I'm going to leave my pigeons or my doves or whatever the sacrifice is. Priest, please don't let these fly away. Keep them right here, and I'm going to go make, some, make things right with the person, and then I'll be back to offer the sacrifice. You probably wouldn't even leave coins there. Jesus is using something that probably wouldn't happen, but he's also pushing people to think hard about what it means to value people. That if someone else has something against you, you do your part in trying to make things right. Jesus says, you've heard it was said, don't murder, but I'm saying you need to actively work to value people to make for a better world. In Exodus, God says, don't commit adultery. And I'm sure in Egypt there was no value for human life, and God was trying to teach free people that when you become free, one of the challenges of free people is sometimes you begin to, begin to think that your freedom Gives you the right to have self-indulgence and self-fulfillment and happiness and joy. And that that should trump anything else in life. And God's trying to say, as free people, there's a certain way you come, you, you've got to live. You don't commit adultery. Over a decade ago, there was a survey that came out. That 33% of men confess having an extramarital affair. Maybe not a physical affair, but, but maybe an emotional affair. That was over 10 years ago. I've counseled and I walk with, I've walked with people in the past who have not had to go to the dark web or... To like try to find websites, have affairs. They go to things called Facebook and find instant messengers where they connect with people in their past and, and things happen. And I know in this room there are many of you who have been deeply hurt by the breaking of this command. And some of you in this room have been the ones who have broken this and have caused deep hurt. So God gives this command and throughout the Bible it's talked about. And, and God gave this command because God knew how sacred the family system is. And God also knew that children, the way many kids are going to grow up to think about trust and commitment and loyalty is going to be based on how they see their moms and their dads and adults live out loyalty and trust and commitment. And for many of us here, where we have gotten this wrong in the past, we work to make it right in the future. And where we've gotten it wrong in the past... We don't work to make it right in a way where we're thinking that God has said, hey, I need 15 years of righteous living and then I'll forgive you and redeem you and speak words of favor over you again. It's that God forgives and God sets us in a new way and now we work to make it right, to honor, trust, and commitment and loyalty. Jesus says this, you've heard it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, you gouge it out and you throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, you cut it off and you throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. I have a buddy, he said he had a mentor one time. He said, hey, Jesus teaches about lust. And so here's how you need to live this out in your life. 
you see a beautiful woman, you take one good, hard look. And you don't look twice, but you make sure that first look is long and good. <laughs> my, my buddy was like, I don't think that's exactly what Jesus means in Matthew 5. God doesn't call people to do the, the minimum to try to keep a marriage or relationship right. In fact, in the New Testament, places like Ephesians 5, it says, you treat your husbands, you treat your wives like Jesus treats the church. That Jesus becomes the model of how we live out covenant, and Jesus didn't do the minimum. He went, he went beyond what is required. We go beyond what is required to honor people. And you cannot cheat on your spouse, yet never cherish your spouse. And the call of God is you honor and you cherish. And the Ten Commandments says, says, do not steal. Now this is one Jesus didn't build on. He didn't go to this one in the Sermon on the Mount and talk about it. But you could see how this command was needed for free people moving into a free land where they're getting new land and new things and building a society. And at any point in a community where there's desperation, there's often theft. Some of you have suffered from this. A year ago tomorrow is when our home was broken into. And when ever there's stealing that happens, there's like a ripping away of just human dignity and, and human life. God says, don't steal. And then God says this, do not give false testimony against your neighbor, which I think is speaking specifically to legal matters. But Jesus opens this up to a broader reality. In Matthew 5, Jesus says this, again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is yes or no. And anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Jesus is calling people to a deep sense of truth and truth-telling. There was a preacher once, and he read the entire Bible. He wanted to see what are the sins God condemns, the Bible condemns the most. And he came away with this, slander and gossip. The sins he found in the Bible that the Bible confronts the most was a sin of defaming people and gossiping. Yet there are frequent lies that either we tell or people tell quite often. Let me throw a few of these out there and see if these hit home at all. Maybe this one. I'm sorry for my slow response. I didn't see your text message. I'm sorry for my slow response. I found the email in spam. You ever use that one? How about this one? I'll start my diet tomorrow. How about one size fits all? Or when we call the doctor and we get this, please give me your number. The doctor will call you right back. <laughs> How about this one? I'm not a racist, but there's something I'd like to say. Almost any time in my life I've had someone begin a sentence with, I'm not a racist, but I prepare myself for something racist to come next. How about this one? I just need five minutes of your time. Or let's have lunch sometime. All right, here's the truth, people. Like, what comes out of our mouth speaks what's a reflection of our heart. And we need a deep commitment to truth and the truth-telling. And if you want to be committed to the truth, you've got to seek truth where truth lives. 
which is not by drinking social media or news outlets like it's Kool-Aid. It's by sinking deep into God's truth. The truth, passion, and conviction must be lodged deep within our hearts and our souls so that our mouths have something to draw from of substance whenever we speak words in the world. So as God gives these commandments and Jesus reflects upon them, giving these commands back to the church, there's this call to living a life of deep character, even when it's hard. Emmanuel Kant's dad, Emmanuel Kant was a philosopher who lived back in the 1700s and his dad I believe his dad was a pastor and there was one night his dad at an old age was riding from one town to another this is back in the 1700s he's on horseback riding to another town and some thieves jumped him and and began to take everything that was on him everything out of his pockets they stole his horse and they asked him do you have anything else of value on you and he said no And the thieves rode off on his horse, and as this man began to walk, he noticed and remembered that this robe he was wearing had some pieces of gold that were like sewn in as buttons. So he was convicted, so he goes and he he chases down the thieves. And he says, you asked me if I had anything else of value, and I said no, but as I reflected on that, I do. I have this robe that has some pieces of gold on it. And he began to take it off to give it to him. And they didn't take his rope. Instead, they gave him back all the things they had stolen and helped him get back on his horse. Now, if you choose to live a life of honor and valuing people and wanting to be people who honor truth in your life and in your heart, it may not work out that way for you. For many Christians, it's, their lives have ended. There's been persecution. But I think what God is teaching in the Ten Commandments and what Jesus elaborates on in the Sermon on the Mount is that if you choose to live a life in which you honor God and value people and live in honor truth, it will triumph over evil in the end. And that's what we're called to, right? So what is the message I just spoke from this stage? What does it mean for your life and what do you take from this? Like, is there some anger in your life, some, some real bitterness and rage that you have not dealt with? That Jesus' words have confronted you with today? Is there a life of purity you need to commit or recommit to this morning? How does even a command about stealing or bearing false, false witness, how, what does that mean for your life as you prepare to do taxes or you just live day in and day out in the life you live? May the words of Jesus take hold of your heart and work with us and mess with us. And let those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Let's pray. God, my prayer today is I've, if I've spoken any word that doesn't honor your heart, your nature, your character, your mission, who you are, may those words fall to the ground, be trampled by you, and not be remembered at all. But if I've spoken any word that honors your truth and your character and your heart, may it sink deep into hearts and bear great fruit this week in our lives. I pray this in the power of the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to ask our elders and prayer leaders, if you will, surround this room. And we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song. And you'll see where some of our leaders are and where they're moving. If you have a prayer in your life, a blessing in your life, <clears throat> do we have elders or prayer leaders who are going to? Okay, yeah, there we go. They're, they're beginning to move. You'll see who they are and where they are so you know where to go. Let's stand. Let's sing this as a, as a declaration. If there's a need in your life, please find one of our leaders.